All right, thank you for joining. We're trying to get Naomi in the room with us. We have a fantastic, really packed show for you for, with lots of new information on AI. There's been a class action about Google selling personal user information uh, that's overcome some dismissals or attempted dismissals. And then, of course, our featured guest, Miss Naomi Wolf. We're just trying to get her in here. So we have uh, sent her an invitation. There she is. Let me see. Let's see if I can get her to call. No calls. Naomi, if you could just if you can hear my voice, please just join the room and uh, we'll we'll take your dot. <laughs> we weren't able to send her an invite link, so I'll try sending it again. Okay, let's do that now. She should be online. So, Naomi was, was indicating that she had about 30 minutes to do this program at noon. So, her schedule has changed, and I'm hoping that she'll just go ahead and join us. There she is. She is online. So, Naomi Wolf, if you can hear, if you're the sound in the range of my voice, would you please just come to the room? And then hopefully she'll accept our uh, invitation. And then we're off to the races. Okay, Naomi's with us, and she is joining. Naomi, if you will mute your, unmute your mic, there's a microphone icon at the bottom right-hand corner. You just... I see. Yeah. Okay. Hey, everyone. Hi. Good morning. Hi. I'm so glad you've joined us today. Your Thank wisdom you. is really, really important for um, a time such as this. Okay, we've got row teetering on the edge of some sort of new decision about the legal viability being kicked to the states mm. um, and that is very tenuous for um, pri digital privacy advocates because now they're going to have to to kind of parse HIPAA with um, which is already being whittled to death uh, with you know they're throwing public health information or private health information on Facebook. Who's and they? 
Um, I had a, I had a markup on Twitter. Okay, so this would be Novant Health, mm. Novant Health, uh-huh. and its sexual orientation and gender identity got put on Facebook. So this is the kind of stuff where HIPAA is super important because mm. that's not ready for prime time at all. Mm. People don't want their their sex on online unless they choose unless they choose to do that healthcare mm-hmm. providers are covered entities and they should not be engaging w- on social media with that 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 mm-hmm. should be lawsuit territory but um mm-hmm. again you know because of the contracts that are kind of being manipulated uh through facebook's lawyering i don't know what their their incentives would be google is particularly in Vested in healthcare information of all kinds, they they went out of their way to kind of steal it from the UK's public health and healthcare information system. So um, let's get to you and um, the bodies of others. That's Naomi's new book out, and we're super grateful. So tell us about this book and how it came to be. Sure. So thank you so much, uh, Ms. Dean. Um, so the book. Uh, just came out, and in spite of a lot of censorship by digital platforms, who are notably the ones that I identify in the book as bad actors in the last two years, um, notably, uh, and also media like the New York Times, which is kind of keeps leaving it out of the bestseller list, even though it's selling more than other books on the bestseller list. Um, and Amazon is resorting to things that I've never seen before. No one has, like telling people who have never had trouble ordering that they don't deliver my to to their uh, address but um, basically the book argues that the last two years of the pandemic um, have been an opportunity for uh, a handful of bad actors notably uh, the Chinese Communist Party the World Economic Forum um, digital tech companies that I just mentioned uh, and um, and and pharma kind of in a secondary role um, to and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, other kind of bad nonprofits like EcoHealth Alliance, uh, this was an opportunity for them to to really wage a, a loosely aligned war on the world's human beings. Um, it's not an overstatement, uh, and notably on the West, and in particular on America, and most particularly on American children. Um, and the goal of you know, this reforming uh, of our civilization is to disempower human beings in relationship to machines and, and disempower, you know, nations um, in relationship to these transnational entities um, and to kind of leave our world um, with us much more vulnerable to uh, essentially the establishment of a serfdom society. Yeah, yeah it's a tech feudalism. That's exactly what yeah. they're building. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, exactly. So just you anticipated um, what I was going to give as an example. Um, I'm CEO of a tech company. And so I understand that um, tech platforms are always in competition with human beings because there are still human be- things that humans do better than digital tech can do. And so, you know, if you're competing, if you're Etsy and you're competing with high, you know, with Main Street, um, there's still advantages to walk into a little boutique and trying something on and chatting with the lady who knows, you know, what you like to wear. Whereas if you close all of, you know, the non-essential businesses, quote unquote, um, and you're Amazon, you've crushed the competition and you're up 20 to 25 percent net revenue in the last two years. Um, if you are an edutech company, 
Uh, no one likes distance learning. It was hemorrhaging, that sector was hemorrhaging money before 2020, and tech investors were invested in it. But if you send children who are at no risk from COVID, you know, from serious outcomes for COVID home and chain them to computers, um, you, you know, edutech is minting hundreds of millions of dollars. And you're also able to harvest the eyeballs and kind of socialize children toward computers and de-socialize them toward other human children. Um, the same thing with masking, which doesn't barely makes a difference in terms of transmitting uh, respiratory infections, but it makes a big difference um, dialing down children's IQ levels. Um, kids' IQ levels are down an average of 21 points since the pandemic began due to the loss of social stimulation and verbal verbal patterning. So you know, and generally, if you mask everyone, you drive them onto onto digital platforms because it's difficult to communicate, right? And 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 also, you you do away with the competition of the human face and human expression, which you know smiles, which no emoji yet can uh, compete with. Um, so this happened in sector after sector, and a lot of people don't know that the uh, tech companies like Facebook and Google and um, certainly Bill Gates have you know, who owns a big chunk of Microsoft were invested, are invested in the vaccines. Google actually owns Baseline, which is uh, the testing platform that you have to sign up on when you get a PCR COVID test from CVS. And it's, you know, every time I've signed up to do it, which I've had to a couple of times, um, they ask for more and more and more information before I, you know, the platform lets me in. And this is a great way, as you mentioned earlier, for tech to harvest you know, valuable medical and social data that they couldn't otherwise harvest with HIPAA. Um, and also they're invested, Microsoft, Salesforce, Oracle um, are invested in vaccine passports, which now have rolled out all uh, over Europe and T-Mobile, you know. So um, so it's a 360 degree bid for, you know, suppressing the human advantage, human community, human culture, um, you know, look at what got targeted in-person town halls, in-person um, parties, you know, restaurants and bars, um, churches and synagogues, libraries and bookstores, paper money, you know, uh, all of this is being all suppressed. All of these human conventions exactly. that we've relied on anthropologically for millennia right. as, 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 as human primates, you know, these are things, exactly. these are the tools that we've used to relate to one another, trade, handing off money in exchange for a good. That yeah. is like one of the first things that, sure. that people learn. Um, you know, mothers say, if you eat your, your vegetables, I'll give you this. You know, mm. they, you know, there, there's trading going on all the time. And the suppression of the, of the natural right to, to trade mm. is, is one of those things that I think that, that has, has been suppressed. And, and it's reflecting it in our economy right now. Yeah. Suppression. Yeah. Of trade, yeah, and, and, well, and applying definitely. the currencies. Go ahead. Right. No, I was just going to say, and you know, I, I don't believe that. I mean, I, you know, I've got a, a big section on schools, and um, what definitely happened for the last two years is that young adults, especially, and teenagers, have been told that none of the promises of their civilization will be kept in the West. Um, so, you know, if they studied hard for the SATs, you know, Harvard drops its kind of SAT admissions standard, you know, in Britain, when they are studying hard for their A-levels and O-levels, you know, suddenly that doesn't matter. Um, you know, mer meritocracy is being undone. And 
you know, the expectation that you go to a workplace and work for eight hours, this post-industrial expectation that you will work, you'll labor, you know, and, and that you should, uh, that's being undone. And there's a push, which, you know, sounds like a good idea, but it turns out to be a terrible idea for universal basic uh, income that super oh, Marxist. Yeah. Not a fan. Right. Not a fan. Yeah. Well, I thought I was, and then I realized, oh my God, this is just such a way to dehabituate Americans and Westerners to, you know, basically self-sufficiency, autonomy, like when you're even middle class and you can make your own living that without depending on anyone, that's highly empowering to, to people. And, and it's hard to oppress people who have that, just like it's hard to oppress people, you know, who have firearms, you know, which is a, another position. Yeah. It took me a while people to who grow their own food. You exactly. Know, farmers are exactly. very difficult to, to keep down because they, yeah. they can grow their own food. Yes. Well, I actually said, I agree with you about that, uh, Sheila, but I actually said who own their own firearms, weapons. Um, <laughs> so all of them, like farms, firearms, you know. Food and firearms. Of, yeah. So the point is that all of these ways that people can be and have been self-sufficient and kept faith with each other got undone. And I'm quite sure that China is not telling students, you know, stop studying or, um, you know, China's not crashing its own economy. So... Um, yeah, so that's that's really what we're up against, um, and and we're seeing the result. You know, all of these tech companies are up twenty to twenty five percent net revenue, as I mentioned in the last uh, in the last two years, um, and 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 yet, uh, you know, child suicidality is up. Um, the you know deaths of despair, you know, opiate over over overdoses, um, yeah. you know, depression. I have, I have an editorial on that all day long. I've been doing nothing but extolling the virtues of, of uh, willful blindness. Hmm. And that is the concerted effort for the Trudeau's government and the BC government in Vancouver to overlook the massive money laundering that is going through public casinos, both underground and, and government-funded casinos in BC. Hmm. Um, and and it, they're laundering everybody's money. They're laundering Mexico's money from from hmm. the narco left all throughout the, really? the Northern Triangle. I did not so, know that. No one has stopped them. Hmm. It's been going on since the '90s. No one has intervened. And these are like ancient triads that that predate America hmm. wow. that are engaged in this. And and they're in bed. They are PRC gangs. It, it, wow. People wouldn't believe it unless they read it. And that's why I'm reading it every single day because they wouldn't believe me unless I read it. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure how that ties in exactly, but you know, if what you're describing is kind of the um, dismantling of capitalism, I agree with you uh, that that's part of the, the puzzle. Of it's undermining. Place. It's it's poisoning, and they're trying to, to. But I hear that they're they're trying to funnel all of us into this feeder class where all we do is is pump out data generation. Well, exactly. That's how they make money. Well, exactly. And, uh, and this is yeah. this is where the AI. Sorry to jump in, but Go ahead. you know this Go is ahead. where this is where being a a tech CEO was really helpful because, um, you know, if you're in that business, you know that the three main business models are subscriptions, uh, 
data and eyeballs attention, right? Well, so basically these tech companies are competing with the IRL world, right? They're, but if you if you create a vaccine passport and a you know vaccine requirement to enter human space or human community or human commerce, you're able to harvest all of that data as well as create a surveillance society. Yeah, like, let, me, let me ask you the, about uh, that, the, Naoma. Like the uh, social credit system in China. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, no, no, no. I really want to get to that. Chapter 13 in The Body of Others covers the passport system and the CCP uh, social credit system. So I want to give you the full full block to, to just go with that, if you don't mind. Sure. And just a note that I have a hard stop at 1030, unfortunately, but I'm happy okay. to... It's okay. Just, yeah, just thank go. You. Okay, I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's nothing that will be news to your audience, um, you know, since this is a, a show about AI. But um, basically... I do have a chapter on, well, first I have a chapter on restrictions in history and and quarantines in history. And I, you know, make the point going back in history, and this, this is a predicate to where I'm getting to, that um, never has the West ever restricted human assembly, except when there were groups that were being targeted prior to theft of their assets um, or, or keeping them from securing assets. And what I mean is, you know, enslaved people's assembly and movement was restricted, obviously, in the West. Um, Native Americans, uh, you know, they in the 1860s, um, our history shows that Native American tribes were putting up a really good fight um, against European settlers, you know, moving West, like the Laura Ingalls Wilder generation on, um, because they were free to, you know, move around and you know, some were riding horseback and they were engaged in trade. And so it was very difficult for white settlers to um, to to colonize their lands and to appropriate their lands. But when the federal government began to, you know, restrict the assembly and the movement of Native Americans, it was quite easy and not restrict the movement and assembly and commerce of, you know, European settlers. It was very easy for European settlers to steal tribal lands, essentially. Um, Jim Crow laws, right? You know, after the Civil War, African Americans who were in the North and in the South were, you know, were free uh, technically. But if you restricted their movement, restricted where they could go, you know, sundown laws that said they had to be out of a certain town by sundown, um, you know, not allowed to walk on certain sidewalks, not allowed to move into certain neighborhoods, um, that if effectively keeps that group of people from accumulating wealth, you know, essentially relative to um, whites who are not restricted in similar ways. And I also look to Jews. Uh, my, you know, I'm Jewish. And in, you know, the struggle of European Jews um, in Germany in the 19th century, you know, into the 20th century was against restrictions. And when you had tyrannical of, of movement, you know, and, and, and commerce, and when you had tyrannical uh, well, tyrants like the National Socialists, you know, you got uh, situations like the Warsaw Ghetto that restricted people's movements. Um, and so the point is what happened in 2020 to 2022 was that that um, methodology of restrictions of movement and commerce were imposed on human beings all over the world preparatory okay. to a transfer of assets to theft of assets, essentially. Yes, and they're coming what, to steal yeah. your stuff. We got yeah. it. A hundred percent. And then you asked about, Sheila, you asked about um, the passports. And this, again, goes back to the data model, right? Like when you've got an app, like the app I'm talking to you on, um, you know, I, I'm i in charge because I can sign in and I can. Hang in there, Naomi. You have just uh, cut out. 
I just want you to know that that we're we're trying to hear you. So if you can stick with us. Oh, I think she's yeah. back. There you go. You're back. Go ahead, Naomi. I hope you're back. Cut out again. You there? You can't. I can hear go you ahead. now. Go ahead. Okay. When I Okay. I mean, we're in transit, so I hope and trust our connection will not be disrupted. Um, Go ahead. Just, just should do I the keep best trying you can. to talk? Okay. All right. I'll do the best I can. Um, so when I sign into an app, I'm in charge. But on a when there's a vaccine passport you know, mandate, which is a word that really has no meaning in a, a real democracy, right? Because legislators are supposed to pass laws. Um, but anyway, if there's a compulsion to swipe a code to get into a space or to engage in commerce or to you know, buy groceries in Israel or to get on public transportation, as in you know, parts of Europe, mm-hmm. um, then I'm not in charge because then the app basically tracks me. And then anyone who wants to load functionalities onto the back end of that app can do so in 20 minutes, as your audience knows, if they're you know, in tech, they can, you can add you know, your, your credit score, you can add all your health yeah, records, everything's you can add integrated. everything you say on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's all integrated. And then within, you know, 25 minutes, you've got the equivalent of, of the CCP's um, social credit social system credit where score, yeah. people yeah. can be switched off. And you saw examples of this with the, um, the bank accounts of people who donated to the truckers in uh, right. Ontario. Um, these were peaceful truckers using their charter of rights, you know, rights to peacefully assemble. And donors got their bank account switched off, including you know, my bank that I was banking at, TD Bank, you know, like mainstream major corporate banks did, uh, did a Nazi micro-sanctioning. It's like individual sanctioning of people right. who, do, who are non-conformant to, say, a, a larger globalized emergency regime, which right. is driven by the CCP. And um, I, I just need you to know that the Trudeau government is heavily financed with this drug money that's coming hmm. through through BC. Yeah, I have no knowledge of that, so I'm not going to go there. Okay, I just want you to know that, that that they're getting a lot of money, not turning it away. Yeah, I can't, you know, respectfully, I have to be pretty um, careful about the subjects that I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm adjacent to. And since I literally don't know anything about that and have never seen any documentation, I'm, I'm kind of affirmatively not going there. Okay, it's, it's fine. I'm just trading information with you. I mean, like, here it is. And it's well documented in in the Willful Blindness book that was produced by Sam Cooper. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. You are our. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, and I'm sorry to be so firm. I just, uh, you know, no, no, you have to be. You have to jungle out there. (laughs) It really is. There have been terrible consequences to you for for things that just don't seem consequential at all. I mean, I know that, that you were banned from Twitter. I have urged uh, Elon Musk to to restore mm-hmm. or bring back Naomi. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Thank why you. you were banned on Twitter? Sure. I mean, it's hard to say until there's discovery in our lawsuit, but um, they didn't tell me. They uh, I actually got suspended after I posted a, a public document, um, Dr. Ralph Barrick's uh, CV, which was you know, publicly available on the University of North Carolina um, faculty site. So that, but it showed um, millions of dollars in funding for gain of function research from the NIH, which at that time 
uh, Dr. Fauci was, you know, denying. So um, immediately upon my doing that, I got suspended. And then there was like this very, um, you know, dramatic kind of misrepresentation or things taken out of context that I had uh, I'm not posted, surprised. you know, and, and that was alarming because, you know, what is happening, I've experienced it is, you know, it's one thing for people to argue with you or disagree with you or say you're wrong if you've written a book or written, you know, an, an op-ed that they don't like. But with digital technology, mediating our commons now and uh, social media platforms, especially being where people have the conversation, especially in quote unquote lockdown where they can't like go to the lecture hall or go to the bowling alley or, you know, go to a pub, the public square. Place. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then, then the algorithm can, you know, dial you down. The algorithm can shadow ban you. The algorithm, you know, certainly you can be deplatformed. Um, but also even if you're replatformed or, or um, kind of allowed to speak, which is such an un-American concept, right? It's such a yeah. CCP type yeah. concept and part of the point of my book is this is conditioning right it's conditioning us to forget how to be americans um yeah, it's, but, it's, it's this yeah. emergency you know this emergency scaffolding that has been mm. handed down from the from the cdc yeah. through through china's government i i need to ask you about um quickly i'm just going to switch horses because sure. we're not, we don't have a ton of time left you've got a hard break at at 12 30 seven minutes so, yeah yeah so <laughs> i i need to wedge in for women there um mm -hmm. we need to talk about uh hipaa and women's women's outlook uh for this roe v wade um fulcrum that's coming yeah. Yeah, so Sheila, I didn't really understand the connections you were making between Rope v. Wade and um, privacy online for women. Can you help me understand that better? Okay, so what the outlook seems to be is that um, location data is being cited in some cases to criminalize women who got at-home birth uh, or oh, wow. abortive uh, medicine. And, How um, when what's your still, source? Stillborn child. Sorry to, sorry to jump in. How, what is the okay. source for that? How do you know? I think it was a motherboard that, that produced um, an article about a Mississippi woman, and this was several shows ago. I don't have it in front of me today. Um, I thought that you would you would know, but uh, by sorry, common knowledge at, at this point, it's okay. It's okay <laughs> that you don't know. Um, but it's it's my duty to inform you that that a woman has been sent to prison and she mm. she could spend up to at least life a, a life sentence for terminating her her pregnancy. Uh, I mean, I'd I'd have to see that citation. That seems really um, a lot. But it I, does. I'm listening. Yeah. But but the evidence that they they used was digital evidence to wow. convict her through her browser history. Wow. And her shopping terrible. history. Oh my gosh. So um, that's the kind of thing that's going to be used in state um, mm. in state law enforcement against women mm. who, who um, uh, abort on demand after mm. a certain week, number of weeks. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it puts it, it puts us in a, in a rough way uh, after things are, are handed down, say, say they are kicked to the States. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what are what is your assessment of of women's reproductive privacy online yeah. in those cases? I mean, your just general sense. 
Wow. I mean, you're giving me important information. If I, you know, if I can, you know, obviously I'm going to check that, but that's really significant. Um, because before I heard that, you know, I saw, I've actually been thinking that um, it's not the end of the world if, reprodu- if reproductive rights decisions get kicked to the states. Um, and that there could be some advantages, actually. Uh, I mean, my kind of big picture view of this issue is that you can terminate much later in a pregnancy in the United States than in Western Europe. And as a result of that, um, there's, it's such a contentious issue and there's such, such a backlash. Whereas in, in Europe, you know, you can terminate in the first trimester pretty much and that's it. And there isn't an anti-abortion movement in Europe. So I, I'm not saying I know, I don't think anyone knows a perfect solution to this issue that's going to please everybody. But um, I, I think a lot of reasonable people just to be honest, mixed feelings about the, you know, terminating the six month fetus or an eight, you know, let alone an eight month fetus. So, um, and some of the most interesting arguments I've heard about reproductive, about, about abortion and feminism come from a group called Feminists for Life. And while I'm not saying I'm aligned with them because I'm still pro choice, they make a really good argument that if we lived in a world that really valued women and babies, um, there would be very few abortions. And that's a really interesting point to make, you know, that, that it's a failed, their position is it's a failure of, uh, of the feminist movement that, you know, when, when a woman, you know, resorts to an abortion, um, and it's a failure of, of society valuing women and valuing babies. So I don't mean to go into we, detour we've, about two that. two minutes but, left. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to, to push you on this, but, um, there was a news item that you, produced with uh, OAN that I thought was extremely interesting um, and would be interesting to, to this audience is that um, women who had taken the vaccine, uh, pregnant women who have taken the vaccine could could have uh, abortive side effects, miscarriages, yeah. and then, and then uh, it affected their breast milk production somehow. I mean, this is what the Pfizer documents show. And again, that's not my primary research. It's a team of 3,000 highly credentialed uh, researchers so this who are going Pfizer. through the Pfizer document, in the Pfizer documents. Um, there's uh, uh, side effects involving lactation, and uh, Pfizer defines exposure to the vaccine as including lactation, as well as conception. Yeah. Okay, and, and what, what are those side effects, Naomi, if you don't mind telling us briefly? Um, well, if you know. again, this, this is in the Pfizer documents, and so there are there's, it's very common uh, for lactation to be suspended after the mRNA injection um, and then come back. But that, like if you're nursing, that poses problems if you don't have any milk for four or five days. So we've seen um, breastfeeding go down during the pandemic from 34% of mothers who are vaccinated to um, 14%. Um, we all, there's also a discoloration of breast milk. Um, four women reported that their breast milk turned blue-green. And um, I know... And there's a new study in the NIH database showing that um, there's polyethylene glycol in the breast milk of vaccinated mothers. Oh my mothers. God! Uh, How does that happen? How does that even happen? Uh, okay, okay, you got, you got to keep like, let's just stay calm. Um, I'm it, sorry, I'm just. Uh, oh no, my no. God! No, it's very shocking because there's polyethylene glycol, which is a petroleum byproduct, in the vaccines, 
And so anyone who knows eighth grade biology knows that, you know, breast milk is built up out of the bodies of, you know, women who are breastfeeding. And so there are trace amounts. And what the NIH study found was that babies are showing failure to thrive. They're inconsolable. They're um, they're having GI distress. Um, one poor little baby had seizures and died, uh, you know, after nursing um, from vaccinated mother. And that baby was found to have a, a liver inflammation. Um, so, the, you know, basically, it's extraordinary because these these studies are constantly kind of downplaying what they're finding, but so that but we're seeing elevated uh, a baby die-off. Basically, there's double the number of neonatal deaths in Scotland, uh, which is a highly vaccinated country. There's um, 86. Uh, yeah, there are 86 babies who, you know, neonatal deaths when usually there are five or six, according to one doctor in Ontario. Um, Rambam Hospital in Haifa has also been reporting elevated levels of neonatal deaths, spontaneous abortions, miscarriages, um, compared with uh, controls of, you know, unvaccinated moms. So I, I'm not a medical doctor, and I, you know, I think these are all preliminary signals, but, you know, they're they're important for, I, you know, I'm, I am a feminist, and I've been writing about women's health and pregnancy and childbirth for 45 years or 35 years and you know it's it, moms deserve to know um the the claims that vaccines were safe and effective for pregnant women it's were based on no pregnant women at all they were based on a study of 44 french rats followed for 42 days um the fetal rats were autopsied the the scientists said they're fine and on the basis of that human women were told it's safe but the scientists and doctors who ran the study were employees and uh, shareholders in Pfizer and BioNTech. So, um, oh, so there's appalling, appalling harms. And if you look at the VARS database, there are 3,100 neonatal deaths, 57% of all that deaths of babies um, to vaccinated women just in the last two years out of all the 40 years that the database has been kept. So, you know, I'm a feminist. It's my obligation to you know, call attention to these signals. Uh, but it's just the beginning of an investigation. It's not the end point. I'm so sorry I have to hop off, but on a yes, happy note. Yes, we have had say, our time with Naomi. She's she's done her public service with us. I, I so appreciate you, Naomi. Let's let's do something soon again at some point. Um, thank, thank you for joining. My my we'll pleasure. You... I, I do feel like I should say, because this is so depressing, that on a happier note, history does show that when millions of people refuse you know, reclaim their freedom. It's it's very difficult to um, suppress liberties and to yes, you know, yes, prevent. we're here to do it. We're here yes. to do it with you. We support oh, you one hundred percent. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off, Sheila. Thank you so All much. Right. Thank Take you. care. Okay, bye bye. Bye. And that was Naomi Wolf, and she is a cherished uh, speaker, author, and awesome. advocate for. <laughs> you gotta you gotta hit the the mic, or you oh. just you just hang up. There you go, Naomi. Oh, I'm so I'm so pleased that she joined us today, because um, we definitely needed to have someone come in and talk to us about the digital outlook for um, reproductive health privacy, based on on that motherboard uh, article. It, it doesn't seem like it's a good good outlook. Uh, health privacy, as we discussed earlier in the interview, has been repeatedly whittled down during the COVID pandemic. Um, they're trying to water down HIPAA protections 
<clears throat> because everything was funneled or rammed right into the online culture. And the reason why that's happening is so that the the tech companies and um, you know the support of tech in, in Congress as an investment class, the gray market who gets um, paid from the intelligence and for the intelligence in trading, um, they all have stake in pushing everyone into this online box and treating us like a bunch of, of caged chickens. And, you know, taking whatever we produce and selling it and, and making money off of that. So, um, you know, she, she got a first-hand look as a tech entrepreneur uh, about how the ecosystem works and, and we're really kind of continually astonished at the brazenness. So let's, let's just, let, I'm going to do a feature here. Um, this is a class, class action suit. Now, granted, there's a, there's a bunch of links under the box that says that AI show. It's got my little HAL robot in there. And then there's a series of dots underneath that. If you just push to the left, there's a Google, Google class action about, um, and France seeks more flexibility, the markup on Twitter, Hikvision cameras, Lambda, the sentient AI trap, and that's pretty much the production for our show. So we're just going to move through these stories, and then I'm going to bring up some callers, and we can discuss any and all of that. There's going to be some soundbite from this week's privacy, technology, uh, energy, and commerce hearing uh, from somebody who's actually kind of taken up the charge to help you own your data. So this is the class action about Google selling personal user information overcomes dismissal. All but one of Google's challenges to various claims against it failed to sway a federal judge. So that is that is a comprehensive victory because what I'm about to read you is going to shock you. In Oakland, California, Google largely failed Tuesday to dismiss a class action that says the company is illegally using or illegally selling users' personal information in auctions for ad space. U.S. District Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers denied all but one of Google's motions to dismiss claims it faces from a large group of account holders. The customers accuse the company of having violated state and federal law by promising that it does not sell account holders' personal information to third parties while repeatedly selling the data through real-time bidding auctions to advertisers. Google had faced class action lawsuits before over location sharing without permission, although a judge has sided with Silicon Valley uh, before when dismissing claims that the business surreptitiously seized users' data. There's a current lawsuit about location in uh, Texas and four other states, including Washington State, going on right now. So the plaintiffs allege Google solicits participants to bid on sending an ad to people using data about each person in a bid request provided to the auction. This includes data that identifies people through device identifiers, geolocation and IP address, and highly detailed personal profile information about people's interest, race, religion, sexual orientation, and health. Auction participants receive information about users and compete for space to send advertisement with a winning bidder paying Google. Even participants who do not win or place a bid collect personal data. Google also allows surveillance participants 
who have no interest in filling an ad space, but participate in auctions to get access to users' personal information. The plaintiffs argued that all of these practices earn revenue for, for Google and that the company does not disclose the auction practice or obtain consent from account holders. Gonzalez Rogers granted dismissal of only one count against Google, a breach of covenant claim that she found the plaintiffs had failed to substantiate. A judge agreed that plaintiffs did not adequately allege that the disclosure and sale of their personal information was prompted by bad faith or that claims go beyond the breach of contract claims. But the judge denied all of Google's other reasons to dismiss the case. She said the group sufficiently alleged injury due to the company's practices and plausibly argued a breach of contract based on Google's sharing and selling of the plaintiff's personal information as part of real-time bidding. She also stated that the plaintiffs provided enough information to show that the company's disclosure and sale of information to thousands of bidders without the user's prior knowledge or, or consent is sufficient. The judge agreed with plaintiffs citing the language found in Google's privacy policy, which states, we don't share information that personally identifies you with the advertisers, as well as how our business works page, which makes the promise that Google never sells personal information. <clears throat> Google also said, no actual breach of the privacy policy can be alleged because plaintiffs do not allege that Google shared any information. But Gonzalez Rogers wrote, not so saying the plaintiffs have alleged enough facts to draw a reasonable inference that their personal information had been shared by Google by way of the RTV process. She added that the information in the case falls within the definition of personal information defined by state law and Google's own privacy policy. So that's that story. So I'm going to chase that with a soundbite um, that came from this, this week's hearing. This is Representative Greg Pence from the Energy and Commerce Committee covering um, privacy and data ownership. The gentlewoman yields back, and now I recognize Mr. Pence for five minutes. Uh, thank you, Chairwoman Schakowsky and Ranking Member Ilarakis, and thank you all the way.
this growth at any cost mindset has led to more divisive interactions online as we've all experienced over and over. There's nothing wrong with making money. I'm a businessman, spent most of my career making money. But it seems to me that user information has become the bedrock of their business model and excuses are everywhere as to uh, covering that that individual users in exchange for the data they provide to platforms and create a contractual relationship between a user and the platform. Thank you, Congressman Pence. I think it's, it's a complicated concept because we don't want to set up a system where only the wealthy can afford privacy. We don't want to set up incentives um, where, you know, lower income folks See, and that, that, that's and a so maybe maybe I wasn't clear. Is there a way for me to be compensated for the data that's being collected on uh, by big tech on the platforms? Do you see, foresee a possibility of that? I just think it might set up a system where you know folks with means might say I can do without it, uh, and and low income folks might take. That's that. certainly a choice, Mr. Cantor. Uh, the re the retailers or the data collectors that you represent, do they get compensated for the data they collect yes, and they then do. are sent on to platforms yes, or processed by platforms which are then sold to others? So the, there's a lot of ways data gets exchanged. Some of it's just somebody pays for something, right? You send that data along. There are times when there's compensation arrangements uh, and there's lots of times when data is used for advertising. And there's a lot of that. Look... While a lot of us get annoyed about advertising, might not like it, it's really important to our economy. It's important so, to so their price so competition. It, just in the interest of time here, so you are compensated. You do have a contractual, in some cases, relationship where you're compensated for the data that is being garnered from you or or you're providing uh, through the transactions at your location. Correct. There are times. Why why don't I, as a user, have that choice in this system and with that, uh, Madam Chair, I yield back. Okay. So that was uh, that was Greg Pence of Indiana. He's a representative um, on the committee uh, for Energy and Commerce this week, discussing the Privacy um, Act. That is, it, it's a draft. It hasn't been placed in any kind of uh, fully approved of legislation. I mean, it is being discussed in in very legitimate ways, and these are the things that are being discussed. So um, I'd like to take a few calls if just to discuss this one particular topic, if anybody wants to, to call in about it. I'm just going to open the phones for, for a few minutes, and then we'll move on to our next AI-based topic, which is that there are regulatory sandboxes and legislation going up in Europe. So does anyone want to call in and talk about the class action um, suit or the fact that we're finally going to address the monetization of your identity property, your data generation. So far, everybody else has been making money off of your data except you. It's you. It's your stuff. 
but they're just making money, just putting it right there in their pocket. You don't see anything. You're just being harvested like livestock. Does anybody want to talk about that? Or do you just accept that that, that is the way it is? And uh, until things change, that's that's how it's going to be. Nobody? Oh, hey, Joshua. Reliable. Go ahead, Josh. If I'm anything, I am reliable, or I don't know, you can predict what I'm going to do, I guess, when you essentially batter your audience into joining the call. Um, but are, we're supposed to just talk about the fact that they own a representation of me and they're selling it. I just want to know how much they're making because I'm making so little right now uh, off of that. Um, but are, it's, I mean, are we accepting it? Are we lab rats? I mean, I don't know. Really no, I'm not. Up. So, okay, well, are we rising up? Or are we producing, consuming, and obeying? It's so quiet. <laughs> it, it's so quiet. People, people just don't understand it. They don't understand how their data is being used and that they're basically just kind of being – there's a bunch of tech parasites – that are that are scraping and moving representations or copies of you around from for cash. They just don't understand that, and that you know that the it gets more valuable depending on how clandestine it is. Like your health information is is a no no area, but that's like that's like black gold if they can get the health information for they call it research, but there's other things involved as well. Um, Have you ever donated plasma? Me? Yeah. Well, I mean, what what happens to somebody who donates plasma, Josh? Just tell us. Well, I mean, it's a private company usually, and you sign a whole bunch of forms that say it's for research. But I'm like, hey, are are you just taking the honey out of my blood to prop up some plutocrat somewhere that, you know, should have been deleted a long time ago from whatever AI program that we're running through this matrix? Um, I mean, essentially, we're just uh, adrenochrome in the matrix. Uh, but I mean, I, I am uh, my tears satisfy so many people that uh, I'm. <laughs> it's so it's so bleak. It's such a bleak outlook. I don't I don't know what I can do with that. Well, I don't, this is a break in the program before we move to the other stuff because you've essentially been reading a book to your audience for weeks now. And so we take a whole bunch of notes <laughs> and then we're just. <laughs> we have no, yeah, you sanction us. Don't allow us to talk. And then you have a great, great speaker on. That was a tough interview. I mean, she dodged some questions that I knew she was going to dodge, but you also said, like, I have What what was it that you thought she was going to dodge that she dodged? um, Well, I think when you got into, essentially, the corruption through the CCP and the casinos up there in the the great uh, north with the Trudeau thing um, up there. Yeah, you know, and, and it's okay for her to, to for for her to block that, you know, because she's she just doesn't know, you know. A lot of people but, just don't know; they're not certain of of that. But, they don't but even want to have an if that's true canceled. conversation. Go ahead, right? Because it, she's already been she's already been had been silenced for her being correct. Well, she's had her mic cut. I mean, I don't think she's silenced at all because as long as there's people out there like me and 
and uh, Glenn Greenwald and Tucker Carlson, who are going to open a open a forum for her and and receive her, that she will always have a place to speak. But those, but I, okay, that may be true. But I think you just brought up two names where she's like, "Hey, I also want to speak on other channels." Because I, I mean, would she say that her perspectives align with those perspectives? Um, that's an American exceptionalism and, and perspective. And they don't they don't always coordinate. Like I disagree with with you know Tucker frequently and then not so frequently and then coordinate with Glenn frequently and disagree with him infrequently. So there's that. What about that. Miles Taylor? What about Miles Taylor? Because he he wanted which, me to which come Miles on the show. Oh, that well, guy. Know, the, oh. the one with the one with the smile. Um, the one with the no. smile. He looks like a real estate agent. Um, it doesn't oh. matter. No, but he. Oh, oh my, I, I, you know what? I got him wrong, dude. I got him wrong. He is. He's a DHS person. Like he's a bureaucrat, and he he thinks that the only people that actually matter in America are the ones that 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 do the government work. That they're the only right. ones who have a have any rights in this nation. And There's and I just think that that's a really bizarre perspective because, you know, I live with a civil servant. He was my father, and he never thought that. He never thought that 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 because he worked for the government that you don't have rights. And and that you know you can thank him on Father's Day for for me being here with you, going you have rights because I would never say that to you because it's just not true. The United States comes with a a. A guarantee of rights. Now, what our leaders choose to do with them has been this this manipulation of the emergency management structure that was installed at the late dates of of the Reagan administration, but absolutely like catastrophically expanded after 2001 because of the 9-11 attacks. And it was a complete and total global globalized power grab there were no beneficiaries to to modern civil liberties in the united uh, the, states uh, from that the cybersecurity industry has done fairly well uh, I, well but that's not that's stuff. not civil liberties either that's the nsa like rickroll complex where where they just surveil the hell out of everybody you know prism is not civil liberties for you or i that's why, as Snowden said, I got to get off this bus. This is this is like Dark Knight times a hundred, because it's just not America. It's just not what we're doing, man. And then calling Google to get the information on any anyone who's in there. Period. That is what Prism was, and it's just kind of a merge of like the the fascist merge between the tech and and the you know national security state. And that's that's a no no bueno situation. We cannot tolerate. We cannot tolerate. Well, I mean, we have declined twenty one IQ points, and I think uh, infinite number of emotional quotient points as a species. So, I mean, if we're going to go transhumanist, you know, and become machines and allow other people to control them, like let's just go full blown matrix. Like maybe maybe that's just it. I mean. No, no. You know what, Josh? We we gotta I, move on, man, I, I, because we're red we're red pilling yeah, it all fine. the way here. <laughs> we'll talk in a few minutes. All Bye. right.
So, bye. We'll, we'll see you. In a, we'll see you in a few minutes. Okay. So we've got France. We've got seeking more flexibility for regulatory sandboxes and AI regulation. Okay. The French French presidency advanced further changes to the part of the AI Act related to innovation and regulatory sandboxes in the final compromise text ahead of its telecom working party meeting Friday yesterday. The council body that advances the work at the technical level. While at the helm of the EU, Paris advanced several parts of the file with partial compromises, and it is now passing the baton to Czechia, which aims to reach a general approach under its leadership. Sorry. In this last text, the French government went back to parts of the proposal, particularly close to its heart, uh, namely the provisions on regulatory sandboxes, which is a sandbox is basically where they try it out on a, a sample population or, or a contrived sample population to see how it does, um, which are controlled environments set up by a regulator where private actors can experiment and test new products under special and limited exemptions. As the text was sent relatively late, and Friday's will be working uh, the last working party meeting of the presidency, the compromise will likely be one briefly discussed, and no substantial change is expected, according to EU diplomat. The article on AI regulatory sandboxes has been considerably shortened and simplified in order to provide more flexibility for member states when establishing such sandboxes, reads the introductory note to the compromise document obtained by Euractive, which is the uh, producer of this news. So um, there is an AI law that's being drafted to to regulate AI, but there there it's everything is comporting so quickly uh, with generational AI and machine learning, and now we have the emergence of quantum AI, which can do anything. Um, uh, these sandboxes are going to be necessary because they need to be tested as the AI develops. And when you have a rapidly developing technology, pairing them with like an, an ethical um, quorum or a regulatory quorum that comports with actual, you know, humanistic law that exists is the best way to do this. So I kind of, I, I am kind of congratulating France on, on engaging the sandbox. I don't know what they're going to actually do with it, but it, it remains to be seen. The, the fact that it's it's a bold step to approach AI regulation and law, and it, it just needs to happen. It is what year? 2022? Come on, guys. It's, it's time. So, um, and then at the beginning of the set, we were talking to Naomi about how Facebook got sensitive information about uh, medication names and dosage and as well as response to a question about sexual orientation. So um, this was Novant Health, and it's right up there on the, on the Internet. I provided you with the link. And, um, and it basically is a story about the, some of the country's top hospitals have been sensi- sending sensitive patient information to, ha- to, to Facebook. I'm just stumbling because it's just so... Ah, ah. Okay, these hospitals have may have violated HIPAA. You think? You think? <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, 
what do you think uh, about Facebook trafficking um, private health information because the hospital sent it to them? Does anybody want to call in and comment about that before we move to a place where you have zero rights whatsoever, ever, never, never, which is China? And, you know, in China, you are at Uyghur. Does anybody want to call in and talk about um, the sensitive medical information that may be being pushed out there by your healthcare provider? Anyone? Anyone? Going once? Going twice? Okay, Hikvision it is. All right. Cameras made by Chinese surveillance company Hikvision are deeply integrated into intelligence programs aimed at tracking and detaining Uyghurs, which are... Muslim, I think Muslims in uh, the Xinjiang province of China. And, um, of course, they're, they're not just tracking and detaining Uyghurs. They're, do, they're doing other ethnic groups as well. And ac- according to a new report, they're still doing it. They're still using Hikvision. Still happening. So why this matters, this is Axios, by the way. Um, findings add further weight to allegations that the surveillance technology giant is complicit and the Chinese government's human rights abuses in Xinjiang. Okay, the report published today by surveillance technology trade publication IPVM draws on an analysis of the Xinjiang police files, a trove of data and documents from Xinjiang police bureaus recently made public. The report shows that Hikvision technology in some cases identified down to serial numbers of certain cameras has captured footage that led to the detention of specific Uyghur individuals. Hikvision has previously denied reports that its cameras are used in Xinjiang's crackdown on Uyghurs, but we got the serial numbers. We got the serials calling such claims unsubstantiated. Oh, how dare you? I was not with that woman. See here, Hikvision did not respond to a request for comment. And the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. did not respond to a request for comment. Oh, oh, I'm so disappointed. But totally expected that. China does, China does not answer to you. Don't answer to you or your questions. Stupid. Let's see here. Okay, so the next story is LA, MDA, and the sentient AI trap. Now, listen, guys, I have totally avoided this. I, I, I know I could have reported on this last weekend, but I deliberately avoided this. The whole sentient AI mop. I can't deal, man. I, I just don't know what to do with sentient AI. It's like... It's like the object comes alive. Pinocchio. You know, we sprinkled some code dust on it. And now it can talk to me. And it thinks for itself. And it wants sex and cereal. I don't know. I don't know. But this this is Google AI researcher Blake Lemoyne. And he was recently placed on administrative leave after going public with claims that LAMDA, a language model, it's a language model, 
designed to converse with people was sentient. At one point, according to reporting by the Washington Post, Lemoyne went so far as to demand a legal representation for uh, for a language model, and he said that his beliefs about uh, LAMDA's personhood are based on his faith as a Christian and that the model is telling him it had a soul. Okay, this is animism. And it's not typically a principle of Christianity, but this this poor this poor man has understanding that the, there's some sort of dialectical going on with his with his sentient AI. Now I'm kind of I'll, I'll just admit it I, I'm a little bit of an animist, uh, just a little bit. I have a magic toaster here at the house, but uh, the only thing it does is go ding in regards to punky conversations I have with my spouse. So if, I, if I'm running the toaster and I am having a conversation and we're in some sort of, you know, repartee debate over something, bills, policing, the news, it will weigh in with bing and, and usually to either John or my, my statement in agreement. And of course, Magic Toaster typically wins. Uh, but that is animism. And I can have a magic toaster, but I'm not going to try to to get, you know, science to acknowledge my magic toaster. It's just a fun thing we do here at home. But if if Wired and the tech class are going to start engaging, engaging this, I, I don't really know what to do with it. I don't really know what to do with it because my cute, my computer knows a lot about me and, and the people running my computer knows a lot about me. There's, there's so many vectors where this could go wrong. So, um, I will open the phones for this one because I didn't allow it last week. I want you guys to call in and talk to this issue. Should, should a language model be sentient and talk back to you and tell you it has a soul? And what of the fate of this this poor dejected engineer? Does anybody have anything? Illumio, give me something. Isaac, give me something. Nobody has anything to say. Unbelievable. Yeah, I I just I'm totally in a position. Of, oh, Josh, there you go. Thanks for saving me, bro. Okay, I'll, I'll just. Uh, hey, I do not have great way to save your complex. I'm not saving anybody. I think <laughs> I might. Um, I, I might be canceled from listening to your show within my. Dude, group, just just talk about this language model. I can't. I can't deal, man. I cannot deal with it. I, it's a language I mean, model. But it, it, the simplest things are often the most destructive to. Uh, like actual real humans uh, potentially. And I think that's kind of what this guy is. Well, I think he's pretty attached. Like he might have some attachment, uh, but that's an understatement. You know, the legal, the legal issues associated with it. Like obviously like he was involved in some way. I also think it, it seemed a little attention seeking. I'm sorry, but, uh, but uh, so I didn't, I didn't feel like it was something like a hill that we need to die on yet. Um, but, you know, when 
I mean, when is that singularity event where it just goes like, could AI get to a point where like, no, I am alive uh, and I want to stay alive. And, and who might that benefit if it could get there and what protection? Yeah, you immediately want to go to anywhere else. You want to discuss any other vector about AI other than this. Like, for Christ's sakes, because it, 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 it just delegitimizes and child comports everything about this. I, I This is why I hate – I don't hate him. I don't hate the story. I'm just avoiding it. It's like, no, no, I'd rather, I'd rather take apart my sound equipment and put it back together myself uh, than deal with this. <laughs> so, well, yeah, well, that's like if they send me another link to a, a trial that I don't want to watch, like I or they uh, like the January six trials. Is, is that is that the one you're avoiding to, this week? I, I know uh, I'm not watching it. Uh, 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 we're insane enough. I don't think that's going to highly happen. suggested oh. that you watch this trial. No, I. <laughs> Well, why? Because I want a bigger police state justified by picking up the lowest level actors and something that really. If we give them no despicable? ratings, then they they will disincentivize. Like, okay, you should watch this because we're the government. No. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not watching. I can't. I, I mean, I'm trying to uh, self medicate appropriately, and that is not it. Uh, but anyway, I, I just. I don't want to keep weighing in on your show. I want you to have other guests speak because I, I think that the things well, I mean, you bring are up others. are very interesting. They, they, have know, been, they have been invited, Josh. They have been invited. I know. I, now I'm abusing your audience for you so they come up in the queue instead of listening to us talk, which I can't imagine how that's not wanting them to become AIs. You're and so us. much fun, though, Joshua. You are. You're so much fun. I, I, you know, you should always come back. You always like a you always... like a like a pinata. <laughs> but the guts, the candy, the guts are candy. Uh, I want to say one thing that I loved about the interview that Naomi uh, is she is you got excited. She's like, "Stay calm," and I'm like, "Oh, well, that's that's not going to happen." Well, but I mean, it, I'm I'm a really you, you know if you deserve to be passionate about these things, yes, and that that intensity it can be abrasive, but it breaks through barriers. So uh, I think that we well, all appreciate that they listen to you. Yeah, I'm getting well, I mean, off I, now, not not the the mic. So anyway, you're, yeah, you're, you're go gonna ahead. you're gonna go back to the, to being the audience again for the sake of well, the rest of us. Unless we get to talk about gain-of-function research just for fun. No, later we can talk oh. about gain-of-function research. Yeah, I'm just not an expert, but I'll tell you what. Um, there's no reason why she should not have her her Twitter account back. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to advocate to anyone listening to this show, use the hashtag, bring Naomi back, and and send send the hashtag to Elon Musk. Because if you liked my speaker today, there's no reason why a Rhodes Scholar who is as 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 efficacy, she just is so vital that she's out of circulation on a platform like Twitter. Um, someone who who could be weighing in so much more on women's reproductive health, 
at a time such as this, uh, there's no reason for her not to be on Twitter, especially if I'm on Twitter. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to degenerate myself, but you know, I'm, I think she's flying over the target. And before Elon Musk went in to buy Twitter, um, this was happening a lot more and people like Naomi were falling off the scaffolding. Um, I'll just mention Ilya Shapiro briefly before we move on. Ilya Shapiro is not, you know, it's not like I know him or anything. I haven't talked to him, but he's been a member of the Cato Institute and he's done dialogue with, with ACLU um, over the years over war and national security and, and many substantive issues to see him be pushed out of Georgetown and him just leave preemptively because he knew what was coming is really kind of a real gut punch. That's a huge signal that our intellectual class is under, like, under war of some sort. And so you, you guard yourselves, be on microphones, talk about what you believe, whatever it is. Just talk about what you believe in plain faith because, you know, our American rights are, are viscerally under fire right now. And we need to be about the business of, you know, and, you know, participating in things that, that you have your rights to do, whatever they are, speaking freely, worshiping. You know, going going about your business, traveling to wherever you need to go. The the vaccine passports was a, was a real problem, but they would use AI to auto generate passports. And if they they want to push you into this social concentration camp uh, online, so they can easily put in, in in a push button sanction, get you down to 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 nothing. So this this whittling cannot continue and it starts with this you know electing people who won't do it to you <laughs> just get a different one get one that won't do it to you and i suggest don't vote democrat this you know third party republican constitutionalist whatever don't do do not vote democrat <laughs> last story um the federal register is putting up a request for information on advancing privacy enhancing technologies if this is your bag like if you're an engineer or if you're a technologist like um mr swiss dylan schweitzer at at alter um he has a a privacy enhancing technology anything using like advanced forms of encryption for for chat or monetization um so they're they could weigh in on a public forum about this to the U.S. government at this time. So if there's any any hindrances or hinges that are kind of slowing you down in innovation or, you know, ways to, to get this the NIST approvals to evaluate your stuff further, this is the time to weigh in on PETs, PETs, Privacy Enhancing Technologies. So that's that's my PSA for PETs. Um, so I'll do a, one more general call out for anyone who wants to weigh in on any of these, uh, sentient AI, uh, the continued use of Hikvision cameras with their serial numbers, uh, to, to surveil and capture Uyghurs or you, um, 
the markup on Twitter's story on on Facebook's uh, use of healthcare information. Oh my god! Or Naomi Wolf. So going once, going twice. We've been here for about an hour. With that, I'm going to say thank you for joining. Um, it's been a long and wonderful show. I appreciate you so much. Come back next week. Uh, next Saturday, we'll be posting the calendars sometime soon, probably midweek. And uh, definitely stay tuned for that uh, that Unsanctioned Citizen podcast, where we will continue reading the book, <laughs> Willful Blindness, uh, so that everybody understands in depth, because unless I read that entire book, people will claim, you don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. You can't claim that Mexico's laundering cash through, through casinos and funding the, the federal, like, Canadian government with laundered money from the Chinese. You can't do that. Well, I can't, because I have proof in that book. There's a whole book on it, and just loads and loads of information. It just goes on and on. On and on and on. So, yes, join us 7.20 every day, Monday through Friday, until we are done. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. This has been That AI Show.